Good morning. Ah, good. Good to see you this morning. I can see you. It's not TV. I want to welcome back Pastor Steve and Becky, who were away this past 10 days in uh, Israel, along in a long journey to get there, but a quick trip once you're there, boom, boom. And so we're glad to have you back. I'm not sure. Becky handles the time change very easily, she says. Steve, like me, it takes like a week to get back to normal. So we're, we're glad to have you back home again. Hope everyone is doing well this morning. We're uh, yeah, this is a new season, not only for, for the season outside, coming into summer, allegedly, um, but it's also a new season in our family life, and I had the great delight yesterday, uh, I went to go shopping for a suit for a wedding, our wedding in our family that's coming up, and my wife, for some reason, got really irritated. We walked into the tailor, I went over, I saw this one's on sale, I'm looking for a suit. She's like stressing out about it. I'm like, it's fine. Stressing out about it, I see this one's on sale. It's the right color. Got a little piping on it. I like that. Let me try that on. Try it on. The, the guy got me the wrong size first, so that was awkward. But then we went on, tried the next one. And within 20 minutes, I walked out of there with a new suit. I got my shirt. I got my tie. And I'm good to go. Whereas my wife, we started like December. And we were looking. We were going to other nations looking for a dress. Went to the United States, I'm, I'm waiting like, honey, it's going to be there. She's going to start looking in Europe, like traveling around the globe on the internet to try to find that one dress and the shoes. Oh my gosh, if you get the dress and you don't get the right shoes, we got to start the whole process all over again. Usually it builds from the shoes up for Shanda, and then we go from there for, for guys. It's pretty, yeah, Daniel's the same. Check out his little shoes this morning, little Hawaii shoes he's got on. They're pretty strange, but... Jealousy, there you go. No, it's not jealousy. <laughs> no, they're fine. Well, you know, because I was uh, reflecting back this week, I saw a study in a newspaper on uh, May 31st in the province newspaper that talked about how that Metro Vancouver and Toronto, the title of is it, why, so, why, are, why are Vancouver and Toronto so unhappy? Metro Vancouver. We are among the most unhappy people in our region, in fact, it's in North Surrey, it's really pronounced, and in another few other places in the north of Surrey. And so there's a lot of different factors going on there, people with all different ways coming together. But people that are very unhappy, it said with higher rates of anxiety, depression, general unhappiness, despite in, in the city compared to the country, despite having higher incomes, lower levels of unemployment, and uh, other things that should make people happy. And the question was why? Why are people in the city, particularly in Metro Vancouver, uh, over uh, more unhappy than in places uh, in the smaller rural areas, things like that? When, when, we were, when we left this church to go to, uh, when we're sent out, I should say, in 1995 to, to Campbell River on Vancouver Island, when we first got there, it was odd when we would go out and we would be walking along the seawall, uh, seawalk, and it was a beautiful day, and we had just gotten there, and we'd be walking along, and then suddenly we'd be looking at someone, and they'd say, hello, and you'd be like, what are you doing? Because i just come from living in a city. I'd forgotten how small town people are. They were not looking to grab my wallet. They weren't doing anything other than just saying, hello, and expecting that I would say hello back. So at first, I was a little bit, I had to get back into the rhythm of a small town, which is often kinder, often a little more open, often a little gentler than uh, a city like ours. But I was talking about it with, over, uh, over a discussion, texting with one of my nephews, and he said, there it goes. It proves it. Everybody should move to the small town, basically. And I said, wow, we can do that, but 2.8 million of us roughly live in Metro Vancouver, 2.3 to 2.8, if you include Abbotsford and out the other way. And the fact that we would settle for a place that's less happy, more annoyed with each other, more disconnected, more distance is just not right. Because the gospel works in every setting. It works in the rural areas. It works in across the globe. It works in Metro Vancouver. It even works in Surrey. It does. So there's this whole thing about why is 
Why are Metro Vancouverites so unhappy? And they, some of the factors that indicate this, that people struggling through long commutes. If that doesn't bring out the devil in you, that, I don't know what will. When that person in front of you, I know I've got an issue with this. Somebody asked me that. Pastor, do you have an issue with road rage? I said, I probably do. Pray for me. Just help me. Other, other factors were both parents working who were finding great stress in simply keeping the balls or all the plates spinning or all the balls in the air without dropping any. They looked at other factors that high housing costs, whether it's renting or purchasing. Uh, millennials can wonder how this is ever going to work out for them as they come in to try to find their way in the world. 45% of Metro Vancouver residents were born outside of Canada. Now, that's not a bad thing. It simply means that the study indicated that it's difficult to cross ethnic lines, to cross social lines, to cross cultural lines, and to make the strong social connections that help make someone feel happy. How many of us, just for curiosity's sake, were born outside of Canada? Just raise your hand real quick, real high. Look at around you, lots. How many of you, your parents, not your grandparents, your parents were born outside of Canada? Everybody else that already put their hand up. Okay, lots of people born outside of Canada. And then when you add in, in Surrey, uh, where we have 1,000 people a month landing in our city, 800 to 1,000, trying to find connection, trying to find community, we're simply not doing it. It's not happening, and people are more unhappy, more anxious, more uh, disconnected from one another. And, in, and what happens out of that is life and anxiety and all kinds of things grow in us, and we're not healthy. We're not, we're not a sense of community. It's a sense of, of, of a bunch of rats in a maze going through, just getting from point A to point B, rather than having a life, as we talked about last week, Romans 12 and 2, if you want to put it up on the screen. This is God's heart. Be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, a satisfying life, and a life perfect in His eyes. That's God's heart for us as, the, as His sons and daughters, is to have an incredibly satisfying, beautiful, and a life that's perfect in His eyes. And so when I read things like that in the newspaper, it makes me a little irritated that people would live under that kind of an environment. And we see it happening where people struggle with, that, uh, th with disconnection, with frustration, with loneliness. People are overwhelmed with the stress and the pressure. And I, would, I wish that it was just people who were outside of church. I don't wish that they had it, but I could understand it more then. But in fact, it's happening in, in the church as well. Well, there's a high rates of Anxiety and depression and discouragement. Social media that divides us, doesn't unite us. Social discourse that is toxic in many ways. And if you watch your choice of 24-hour news channel, you could have a vastly different view on what's going on in the world. Mostly the one that's, they're right, we're wrong, they're bad, we're good. And our culture is in this toxic turnover of discourse that where we can't disagree with someone without attaching uh, or detaching them from their worth as a human being, where we castigate their very worth and uh, the fact that they would take up space on the planet. Hamsters on a wheel where they understand that there's got to be more overscheduled, overcommitted. Now, I don't... The authors didn't say they had all the answers, but they said this, that you could really begin to address these issues if you have some kind of overriding social identity that makes you a better part of us, a bigger part of us. That, in other words, that we are connected together with all our diversity in something that's greater than us. A greater purpose, a greater vision, a greater sense of togetherness that could happen. And now the world's looking for that, but the place that's supposed to set the culture and the, the, the temperature of the world is the church. The church is not meant to be following the world. The church is meant to be leading the world. We have not always done a good job in leading and bringing people together. And, and I'm not just, you know, some Obama-esque thing, bring people together and hope and all that. I'm actually talking about the reality of our world where through... Uh, Romans chapter 12, we see a church that has come together. It's two different ethnicities trying to make a church work. It's two different cultures, two different backgrounds, and they're trying to make the church work. And Paul, the writer of, of Romans, speaking on behalf of God, says, you actually need to come together because the goal is not that you would forget who you are. The goal is that together you would be greater than you are alone. 
that there will be something that happens in you and through you that causes you to be greater, do greater, and become greater, become better because you are together. He said where they would share a common, more uh, what they share in common would distinguish them more than what they are different in. Paul emphasizes that grace has overthrown every barrier. We might erect all kinds of barriers, but in uh, Colossians 3 and 11, it says, in this new creation life, when you come to know Jesus, it says, your, your nationality makes no difference, your ethnicity makes no difference, your education makes no difference, your economic status makes no difference. They matter nothing. This is the Passion Translation. For in Christ... For it is Christ that means everything as he lives in every one of us. So he says, all the things that you think should divide you, when you come into the family of God, they don't actually mean a whole lot because we actually begin to identify, as the authors of this study said, uh, we begin to identify ourselves according to something greater. Not what we came with, not what we have, not how good we've got it, but actually on that we are united around the person of Jesus Christ and saying, God, begin to order and reorder my life. And Paul begins to unlock in chapter 12 a whole thing about how to live life, about how you can be a better human, how, how someone uh, would, you could be someone that somebody else wants to actually be around, how to be a better friend, how to have a better marriage, how to have a better work environment, how to have a, 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 a place of power of God in a world gone crazy, how to have better relationships, how to have better connections, how to have healthier families, how to have healthier marriages, to reduce anxiety, to lower the depression level, to decrease and break isolation, how to have and to be a real friend. And he gets into it and he begins to, because at the beginning he says, you're going to be transformed by changing the way you think. And God wants to give you a beautiful life, a satisfying life, and a life that's perfect in his eyes. And then he starts to talk about how you can begin to do that. Because of the privilege, now we're going to read through a little bit, so hang on and follow along in your Bible or along. This is a New, Trust, New Living Translation. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves Measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. If we just stopped and camped there for a little while, it would be much, much better. Where we start to evaluate ourselves rather than everybody else around us. But then he goes on. This is what the implications are. Just as our bodies have many, many, have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given different gifts. For doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak it out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving, what do you think you should do? Serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. So he just talks about how we're so different, but we're so, we so need each other. And then he goes on to be a little bit more prescriptive. And he says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Then he goes on. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. We're going to talk about verse 14 next week. And then we're going to today continue on with verse 15. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Now, you could preach probably any of those verses for a long, long time. I'm not going to. I'm just going to take our regular amount of time. going to seed some thoughts into you. Because I think uh, I was talking with someone this week. You could, you could probably preach for six months out of this chapter. There's so much about how to live life and how to live your life for other people, how to live your life to transform the world, how to live your life for something bigger than yourself. But we're not going to do that right now. But Paul begins with this whole section where he talks about the body. He says, you belong to each other, we serve each other, and we need each other. We belong to each other, 
We serve each other. We need each other. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's actually about the whole. That our life is about not making a name for ourselves. Our, our, our life is not about some great achievement. Our life is about helping others to be what God's called them to be. As I do my part, God does something in that that's greater than just in me. When I contribute to the body, the body is much more healthy, much stronger. And as some of us do one thing, we're like, I've got nothing, and so we don't do anything with it. We don't contribute our giving. We don't, we don't uh, give our kindness. We don't we don't do what God's called us to do because we have a, a, a deflated sense of self where we think, I've got nothing to offer. Equally as bad is somebody on the other side of the scale who says, what I got is actually the most important. And if you would all just kind of get line up behind me and help me to be awesome, that would be really good. Neither of those are true. It's actually both coming to the center and say, everything that I have, I'm going to serve with confidence. If God's given me the ability to start businesses and make money and to, to do it, I'm going to do it. If he's given me that leadership in my life, do it. Don't get into some false humility where I'll, I don't know if I should make money. Make some money. Make it for Jesus. Help people with it. Use what God's given you and serve the world. If your ability is to lead, don't make it about leading people to look at me. Make it about how can I help people to take a step forward in what God's done. And that's what he's talking about, that our gifts and our talents are given to us, not so that we can make a name for ourselves, but so that we can make the name of the body, Jesus, the body of Christ, great in the world. But it doesn't happen by accident. As Ephesians 4 and 11, or 16 says this beautiful thing that says, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. There's a spot for you. There are no exclusions. If you belong to Jesus, there's a spot in the body for you. As each part does its own special work, what does it do? It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy, the whole body is growing, the whole body is full of love. Now get this. If you don't find your fit, if you don't do your own special work, the body is not growing, the body is less healthy, and the body is less full of love. So is it any wonder then that we're not leading the way in the world when we don't always live this way? We don't find our spot in the world or in the church and we find ourselves dis, uh, excluding ourselves or we find it making all about ourselves when Jesus is saying, find your place, fit together in the body, find your place and, and find a way to elevate somebody else. Find a way to reach down and lift somebody up who's maybe over here and say, come on, you got a space and there's a place for you. And oh, you, you come down a little bit over here and it's not all about you. So you come on down here and let's fit together perfectly so that what God wants to happen in the world can happen in the world. Because this is what's at stake. As you connect and contribute, you are healthier. You are personally, you are growing, you are personally, and you will find yourself full of love. And not only that, then the whole body is healthier, growing, and full of love. Let me look at this one scripture in Genesis 11. We see it in the Bible. When people come together, what happens? Genesis 11, this is a story of the Tower of Babel or the Tower of Babel, however you want to say it. And they said, we're shortly after the flood, and they came together and they said, let's build a tower so that we can not be scattered and we can make a name for ourselves. We can be famous. They said, we're, this is going to be about us. And as they started to work together with one language, and they started united together, this is what it says. The people are united. They all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Nothing they set out to do will be, will be impossible for them. This is people with wrong motives, simply working together and communicating, getting on the same page. Not the right motives. Think what could happen. Think of it. Think of what could happen if a church, the people of God, got on the same page, said, I'm going to find my place. I'm going to connect, and I'm going to contribute, and then the body will be healthy. It will be growing. It will be full of love. I believe that there are things that are impossible for the church in the city when we continue to not make it, when we continue to make it about ourselves, when we don't connect, when we don't contribute. It's, it's, there's a lot at stake in the world. And see what happens when we don't find our place, when we don't live like this, is Matthew 12 and 25, Jesus said that a kingdom divided against itself can't stand. Now we say, well, that means you actively are working against. No, divided. If you are not connected to the body, what are you? You are divided from the body. 
If you are not connected in relationship, you are divided from the body. And when you are divided against the body, the body cannot stand. The body can't function. The body can't be what God's called it to be. But when you find your place, because there's a there's a place and there's a space for you that is absolutely desperately needed for the church to step into this where nothing will be impossible. So when we work together in unity, nothing's impossible. But when we are in division, nothing is possible. Unity makes almost anything possible. Division makes nothing possible. So we have a choice before us as to are we going to find our place? We want to see our culture shift. We want to see it change. We want to see the lonely set into family. We want to see the discouraged encouraged. We want to see the unhealthy brought into health. We want to see marriages restored. When the church of Jesus Christ, when followers of Jesus Christ find their place, as Paul says at the beginning, when we find our place, when we are in it to serve others, to elevate others, to increase the the, the space and the place for others to find, then the body is healthy, it's growing, it's full in love. So Paul said you, can be, you belong to each other, you serve each other, you need each other. What does the body of Christ look like when it's flowing, when it's moving? Well, I would say the body of Christ is this mystical thing of all the people of God. We're the body of Christ together. But if you want to know what the body of Christ should be doing in the world, we should look at how the body, the literal body of Jesus was moving in the world when he walked the face of our planet. It says in Acts 10, 38, it says, and we know how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. That's what the body of Christ is meant to do. We're meant to not just hang out. I've got, I'm just here and I'm going to, in a holy huddle. We're actually meant, about, meant to be going around doing good healing all who are oppressed of the devil. When we each find our place, when we each get into our space, then God can do something through a church that's healthy, through a church that's growing, through a church that's full of love, so that we can go around doing good and healing. Think of it. I think that there are people right now who are not experiencing the healing power of God because we haven't all found our place. We belong to each other. But think what happens when we find our place. Good begins to get done. Lives begin to get healed. Families begin to get restored. Relationships get mended. Miracles of restoration happen. Depression begins to be lifted off people. Restoration begins to happen. Healing begins to happen. When we are, find our place, when we are connected and contributing, incredible things happen. Your church is healthier. You are healthier. Culture is healthier because as go individuals, so go families, as go families, so goes the church, as go the church, so goes the city, as go a city, so goes a province, as goes a province, so goes a nation. So your peace back here actually means a tremendous amount, a tremendous amount. I don't, it's like, it's like Marvel's The Avengers. Yeah, it's like The Avengers coming together, Iron Man, Captain America, the Hulk, Thor, now, I don't actually believe any of this. It's just a movie, okay? So don't anybody, I'm not like worshiping Thor or anything like that. It's, <laughs> there's a huge lesson, though, about teamwork. And you might not have paid attention to it, not just teamwork, but the value of teams themselves. The Avengers lesson is that one is better than one. What I mean by that is one team is always better than one person. God begins with one person, but he's always looking to build one team. He's always looking to build a body. He's always looking to build a people that come together and do something incredible. And so a group of five can probably accomplish more than one person alone. But when those five people can say, oh, we're going to work together, we're going to contend together, we're going to stand together, we're going to use our best piece in this, and we're going to do our part, they can do more. See, but the Avengers had to do this. They have Iron Man's got to put his ego aside. He's always like, I got a better, bigger idea. He's got to put his ego aside. Everybody does. Trust each other and act as a team. Because when we abandon making it about us, it allows us to become part of a whole that's greater than the sum of its part. And Paul moves from this description of the body, and then he starts to get meddling. He starts to get really prescriptive about how you and I are to live our life. I love it when the body 
has great vision, but when it begins to get down into, I actually want to talk to you about your Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday through Saturday life, not just get inspired, but I want to inspire you to become a better human. I'm going to actually show you, he says, how to do it, because it's great to have this concept of the body, but how many of us know that it often breaks down relationally? It often stops moving because of very real things. And many of us have been hurt in relationship, but God's vehicle to change the world is this incredibly relational organism called the church, the people of God, working together. And so what happens is Paul moves and he says, I want you to move from attending a church to becoming agents of transformation. He shows us how to be better humans, a beacon of hope in a world that's dark with discouragement and anger and frustration. He says, I want you to be a shoulder of help in a world that's struggling under the burden of isolation and begins to challenge us to live in a culturally transforming way because when you begin to live different, your your relationships will be a little different. When your relationships are a little different, the city begins to be a little different. When the city's a little different, the province is a little different. When the province is a little different, then the nation's a little different. That's how it starts. Transformation is not this grand thing, although it is that, but it starts in little decisions that we make, and I'm going to address some of those right now. The power of our diversity is only realized in the sacrifices for our unity, because it takes a sacrifice to choose unity over disunity. It takes a sacrifice to move out of a place of isolation into community. It's not easy, but what Jesus lays out in front of us through Paul is this powerful body moving, going about doing good and healing those who are oppressed of the devil. And so there's going to be a sacrifice to move out of a cultural norm that is isolationist, out of a cultural norm that is uh, throwing things at people, out of a cultural norm that is, I don't have have a place, and to move into a different way of living. Because he says you're going to transform your life by changing the way you think. So I'm going to challenge your thinking this morning through the scripture And so the first sacrifice is sacrificing for a new atmosphere, a new atmosphere. To say it's okay in our city, in our homes, in our workplaces, that's just the way it is. That's not what the Bible says. It says don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring one another. I don't know if you've ever stepped into a room where you're like, you stepped into the middle of something and you're like, feel the tension in the room. Anybody ever been there before? Where you step in and you're like, I'm not sure I like this right now. Or maybe you are there and you, you're around someone. It's like they have a dark cloud over them and you're like, oh, there's the atmosphere. And, I, and we just kind of come under it. But we, we are not meant to be just ones who are like thermostats or thermometers measuring the temperature. Say, it's really bad around here. We're actually meant to be ones that set a new atmosphere in the room. We're ones that say, I'm not just going to put up with what's here. No matter where I'm at, I carry a presence with me, and I can choose to live out of that presence, or I can come under another presence, or I can live under another presence, the presence of Jesus, where it's the God who is full of love, who's full of grace, who's abounding in mercy. And it says, and he goes on, and he describes delight in honoring each other. There's an action Because love, we love, oh, I just love an atmosphere of love, and it's really good. But how do you create an atmosphere of love? This word honor is an incredibly powerful word. It means giving weight to someone, assigning value to someone. In our culture, we almost always attach honor to performance. If they perform well, we will honor them. If they don't perform well, not only do we say we don't like what they did, we start to attack them as a bad person, that every motive about them is wrong, that, that we wish things against them, we wish this would happen, and all that kind of stuff. And that's just not the Bible way. If you are one and you read Twitter or you read things, that exchanges that start happening on social media, you watch uh, what's going on, you can ease uh, on your um, favorite 24-hour news channel, you can easily slip under a different spirit than this one. If you're going to live under, if you're going to create a different atmosphere, you have to have that atmosphere inside of you and not come under the atmosphere around you. Sacrifice for a new atmosphere. Honor, and this word honor, it it says don't pretend about it. The Greek word for honor here, there's a verb attached to it that says to go in front of as a guide. In other words, literally lead the way in showing respect and honor. Lead the way. But they don't respect me. They don't honor me. I don't really care. 
And the Bible is very clear that if you wait till someone honors you before you start honoring, you're going to be waiting a long time. We want someone to honor us, or maybe we don't want to honor someone because we're not sure that they deliver it. They deserve it. You'll never go wrong honoring others. You can shift the atmosphere in a room. You can shift the atmosphere in a marriage. You can shift the atmosphere in your home. You can shift the atmosphere in a workplace. If instead of just joining in with the prevailing atmosphere, you start to come in with a different atmosphere and say, I'm staking my claim, and I'm going to start to push against. I'm going to start to move against. I'm going to start to push back in a different way. It says, go before, lead the way. In the Passion Translation, it says, try to outdo yourselves in showing respect and honor. In other words, take it up a notch. Well, they're not giving it. Take it up another notch. Instead of having a competition to see who can be the most sarcastic, see who can do the most burns, how about being a people that start to look out for ways to shift an atmosphere, to bring an atmosphere that breaks discouragement, that breaks pain, that brings healing, that brings life. The very atmosphere of heaven is what it's about. But if you want to create a new atmosphere, don't wait. Honor. A pastor in Tacoma, Kevin Gerald, has this great saying. Instead of worrying about, are they worthy of it? Or what about the person below me? What about my person beside me? He just has this one. He says, honor up, honor down, honor all around. Let's say that. Honor up, honor down, honor all around. Just everywhere you go, just be someone who speaks life, someone who speaks encouragement, someone who honors people. Just say, I'm so glad you're here. You will be surprised at what happens in the atmosphere in the room when you make the sacrifice of a new atmosphere that you, instead of coming under, you start creating. The next one, the strength of our diversity is only realized in a sacrifice for our unity and a sacrifice with a new attitude. A new attitude. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on playing. Uh, playing. Keep on praying. This almost seems out of place. He's talking about relationships right up to this point. Right after it, he keeps talking about relationships. He's not talking about how, although, although you can apply it to your workday world, he's not really talking about that. He's talking about it's going to be hard to live in relationships sometimes. It's going to be hard to create a new atmosphere. It's going to be hard to come together and live in community and unity. And so he says, don't be lazy about it. In other words, live a little bit front foot forward in it and say, I'm going to be part of doing something new. Work hard at it and make it not about you, but make it a sacrifice of serving Jesus enthusiastically. Incredible. It's not going to be easy. Contend for it. I need the help of Jesus. If I'm going to create a new, uh, new ethic in my city, if we're going to transform a city, we have to have a new attitude that's not dependent on what's going around us. It's not dependent on what people say about us. It's not dependent on how people respond to us. It's a new attitude that says, I am going to lead from the inside out, not from the outside in. I'm going to be one who leads the way in doing this. Three easy things he says that. Be joyful in hope. Be joyful in hope. It doesn't mean if you feel and everything works out right, be joyful. It just says, I be stay joyful in the midst of the battle because my hope is that God is doing something. My faith is that in my sacrifice, God's moving things and shifting things that I'm not always aware of. So I'm joyful in hope. I'm patient in trouble because guess what? People don't change overnight all the time. If you think you do, ask your spouse or the person sitting beside you. They'll set you straight. Be patient in trouble. And this word patient, it says, stay under the load. Stay under the load is a picture. It's a picture of somebody who's got a burden on their shoulder, and they want to throw it off to get relief. But this says, stay under the load. Sacrifice with a new attitude. I'm going to stay under it and see what God would do and see how God would move in this way. Sometimes people are difficult. Sometimes I'm difficult. Sometimes I blow it. Sometimes someone else. But stay patient under the load. And then he says, be faithful in prayer. A metaphor, the word talks about, that's given a picture of hounds. Hounds that go after, and they don't stop until they get what they were chasing. If you come to a prayer meeting on Tuesday night at 7 o'clock in the chapel, what you will see is a bunch of people living like this, praying, and they're faithful in prayer. They just stay on it. 
And when they stay on it, and you stay on it, and you stay on it, but I want to quit, stay on it. I want to quit. It's too hard. I'm going to be faithful, and I'm going to keep praying until something shifts, until this relationship gets restored, until the brokenness gets healed. I'm going to stay on it. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep engaging because I'm coming with a new attitude. I'm not quitting. I'm not standing down. I'm going to keep bearing under the load. I'm going to be hopeful in the midst of it. I'm going to have a new attitude because a new attitude can create a new reality. So if we want to see the power of our diversity released, it takes a sacrifice for our unity of coming together. And then he moves on to a sacrifice of new actions. This is the part. As I go through this, I'm inviting you to consider, because we're talking now about what you do with what you've heard. Where would God ask you to make some adjustments in this? Sacrifice with new actions. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who are weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. It's not a corporate program. There used to be a time when those were always the, those are all the jobs of a pastor. We hired someone to do that for us. But the reality of the kingdom of God is that we are a body and we each need to find our place in helping, hospitality, harmony, all those kind of things. But helping, when God's people are in need, we're helping. It says that doing life together is what that word means, that we just do life together. And it doesn't mean that everyone is your close friend, but it means that somebody should be your close friend. You should have friends. The Greek word, we, we are often translate this word in, in English as fellowship, um, because we're trying to capture this idea of contribution, but also I receive. I contribute and I receive an interchange that's going on of relationship and fellowship. But it's a strange word in our culture because I don't know if you, after you, you go to get the guys and say, hey, we're going to want to go fellowship after work. They're like, what are you doing? What, what does that mean? I don't know. No, let's go fellowship. Do you want to come over and fellowship to your neighbor? They'll be like, nope, I don't want to. I don't know what that means, but I'm really scared right now. But we're trying to describe something. It involves this sharing in spiritual blessing and giving of material blessing. It's a chosen lifestyle. The next is hospitality. And hospitality is, generally speaking, fellowship happens among people. The previous one, fellowship happens among people that you already know. But hospitality happens among people you don't know. And the word hospitality actually means, literally, love for strangers. Hospitality is what we extend to the outsider, to the stranger, to the refugee, to the immigrant, to the new neighbor, to the one outside your cultural or your social sphere or your socioeconomic sphere. Do you have a stranger in your life? Do you have somebody that you can offer hospitality to? Do you know the neighbor next to you? Do you know somebody in your work relationship that you're trying to move from the place of stranger into the place of family, from being an outsider to being an insider, to being somebody who can't find their way, to being somebody who finds their place? And it says this, again, that word, the verb attached to it is go after a lifestyle of hospitality like a hunter pursuing a catch. You know what? Pastor Steve and Pastor Daniel are both people who like to hunt. But they will go out, and once they find some tracks, they stay on it until they find what they were looking for. It'll be cold. It'll be like, I'm like, I'm going back to the fire. They're like, we're going to go on this. It's wading through snow because they are staying on to it until they get what they, want, what they uh, were on. They're going to go after it, and they're going to pursue it. And that's the idea of hospitality. It's not just about strangers. It doesn't mean that you have to have your church life you fellowship with and your uh, stranger life that you have hospitality with, but it's coming together of strangers and friends, and we open up and we sit at a table and we share food and we laugh and we share life and we talk about what's actually happening in our world because Jesus did that. His hospitality was countercultural. It was inclusive in that he hung around with the riffraff. He hung around with the needy. He hung around with the excluded ones. He hung around with the outsiders, and he didn't try to show off all the things that he had. For Jesus, was a table was a place of friendship. It was a place of welcome. It was a place of gospel communication and mission. And that's the example that we need to follow.
So if we want to sacrifice some new actions, it's helping, it's hospitality, and it's empathy. This one is one I, I don't always know how to do well. I want to fix. It's kind of the way I'm built. And then you have four ladies that live in your house, your family. That's not a good way to live. Oh, Dad, I'm thinking about this. Yeah, here's how you're going to fix it. I didn't want to fix it. I, that was one of the hardest things for me to understand. It's not always need to be fixed. But empathy, be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who are weep. Just simply means be in tune with the people around you. Be aware of what's happening around. Don't, don't be so wrapped up in our own little world that we're not aware of who's weeping around us. They might look good on the outside, but if, you actually, if we actually engage with their world, we might find that they're not doing so well. And this idea of weeping with those who weep and, more, and rejoicing with those who rejoice, the weeping part is the idea of being present in people's lives. Sometimes we're so busy, we have no time or space to be present. But the picture that goes with this being present in Psalm 23, it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You're present. Didn't say that there was no evil around. Didn't say I wasn't walking through some tough stuff. Just said that somebody, Jesus, is walking with me. He's present with me. And people, we need to be present with people. It's not just all mission. The mission flows out of our family. The mission flows out of relationships. The mission flows out of together. And you know, if you look at millennials and you read studies, and millennials are simply people around from 23 to 33, roughly around that age, group 20s. Sociologists would say that many millennials feel more disconnected from the older generation. They feel fatherless because many have grown up in difficult home situations or broken homes and all kinds of reasons why that might happen and identities thrown aside, everything. And they feel fatherless. And it's a unique opportunity for the Church of Jesus Christ because we're called to be a multicultural, multi-generational, multi-ethnic movement of people that connect together and instead of Millennials not finding their place. They're saying that you don't have a place. We make room and we make space. And millennials can reach out and find a, another generation that says, I've got something I can offer you. I could be present with you. Um, maybe I have a little more time than I did when I was in my 40s or whatever. I don't know. But I have some time and space to offer you. Uh, doesn't have to be a big thing. A lot of times it's just being present and showing and modeling a, a different way in another way. And millennials are not the problem of the church. Millennials are the great opportunity of the church so that the church can reimagine because this generation coming up values connection, it values community, it values local, it values some of the very connection things that are actually very church, very gospel oriented. And if we can live to, do, to, to live out a different way, we can actually, I think, see a shift in our culture. And finally, you know, when we need to feel cared and understood and do... Uh, when people are in pain, but ultimately when we're just present with people, people feel accepted, people feel understood, they feel a sense of belonging. That's the help, often all that they need. And finally, we end with living in harmony. The usher, I think the worship team somewhere around. Harmony, live in harmony with each other. Get along with each other, says. Uh, the message translation says it this way. Get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies. Don't be the great somebody. Be humble. Don't place yourself on some unreachable platform. But open up your life to people that are not always like you. Because if you look around the room, there's a lot of people who aren't like you. It doesn't mean that those are not your people. Because we were once not a people, but we have been made a people because of Jesus. He's broken down the dividing wall between races. He's broken down the dividing wall between ethnicities. He's broken down the dividing wall between cultures. And, and he says, I've made a new way into relationship and connection, and I'm actually doing something that's absolutely brand new, almost impossible in any other context. We're at the foot of the cross. The hillbilly, the redneck, can sit on equal ground with an environmentalist. We're a right-wing Radical can be with a left-wing person and come together. I was going to say something. I didn't. Thank you. Where different cultures, different things, and at the foot of the cross, the actual power of diversity 
is released in our sacrifices for unity. And know, in the last probably 12 to 18 months, many of you are new. People have come to Jesus. People have come from other places. I want you to know that there's no waiting period for you to belong. There's a space and a place for you. We, are, we don't always have it figured out. We don't always know how to do it. But some of the things that we try and provide to help you connect and contribute are things like Grow Track, where, which will happen right after the service today, where you can find your purpose and explore what it means to be a part of this church and, and, and connect and contribute. And, and not only that you would connect and contribute, but in that connecting and contributing, there's a great exchange that happens where you begin to have what we talked about at the very beginning, the kind of life that God has for you, a life that's beautiful, a life that's satisfying, a life that is absolutely perfect in his eyes because you're following what he has for your life. And and just connect in relationship. And we have groups that happen and, and just keep coming back week after week. Make it a regular habit of your life because life is not meant to be lived separate from. It's meant to be lived together. Because when we live together, God does something that's incredibly powerful. He transforms individuals. He transforms marriages. He transforms workplaces. He transforms communities, cities. I would love to see, and this is what transformation looks like to me, where a headline say, why is Vancouver so unhappy? Wouldn't it be great? Can you imagine this? Why is Vancouver so incredibly loving? Why is Vancouver so relationally healthy? Why are divorces going down in Vancouver? Why are families getting healthier in Vancouver? Because instead of being led by the culture, we become culture shifters. We become people who say, we're going to inspire our lives, let them be so inspired by God that we transform our, our own culture and transform the culture because we're never meant to be some subculture that is some weird thing that doesn't fit in a culture. We're actually meant to bring the culture of heaven, live it out and begin to change the culture of earth so that it can look at absolutely different. People come and encounter the presence of Jesus through the way that you live your life because sometimes people are looking, not sometimes, people that are lonely are looking for a place to belong. People that are discouraged in our city are looking for a place where they can be encouraged and brought life. Because when you are discouraged, it means your courage has gone out of your heart. When the courage has gone out of your heart, you start to live at just survival mode. When you start to live in survival mode, the good things, the beautiful life, the satisfying life that God intended for you gets put on the shelf and you just put your head down, try and make it through another day. I can invite you to stand. The power of our diversity is released in our sacrifices for unity. Healthy, growing, full of love. It all starts with becoming part of the family of God. Just with nobody moving at this time, please. We're going to... It's always important to me, I think it's important to Jesus, that when you hear, that you respond. If God puts his, his finger on something in your life, that you respond. So with every hip bowed and every eye closed, it's only to give privacy to the people around us. It's not anything spooky about it. We're just saying that if this is your day to respond to Jesus, to say, I need to make Jesus the forgiver and the leader of my life so my life can look and be different. That something new and fresh can happen in and through my life through the power of Jesus working and moving in me. But it starts with that first place of saying, I need to give my life to Jesus. On my left and your right, I'm just with every head bowed, every eye closed. Just gonna, on my left, your right, if you say, Craig, today I wanna surrender my life to Jesus. I wanna start on a brand new way of walking in the unity and the power of, that Jesus offers me and the life that Jesus has for me. A beautiful life, a satisfying life, perfect in his eyes. I need to begin that journey today. If that's you, just throw your hand up. We're on the count of three. I'm going to invite you to throw your hand up. We're not going to make you do anything other than we're going to pray with you. Yes, over on this side. Anyone else? On my left, your right, down the middle. If that's you, say, I'm going to give the leadership of my life to Jesus. 
Today's my day. You're feeling something stirring inside of you. You feel like this little butterfly's almost in your stomach. That's probably you. Down my right, your left. Anyone down here? One, thank you. Now, we're going to pray for that in a moment. Someone's saying today's my day. But also, some sacrifices of, for unity so that the power of God could be released in and through us. Again, with your eyes closed and your head bowed. You're saying, Craig, I'm, I, I need to make some sacrifices. You talked about hospitality. You talked about humility. You talked about honor. You talked about so many different things, about empathy and actually doing something. But as, I, as you were speaking, there's one thing that I feel like Jesus needs from me to respond to this. If you say, if, if you have one thing that you know you need to respond to, just put your hand up real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That to move into a new space and a new place and what God has for you. Hospitality, harmony, empathy, helping other people, opening up your life, doing life together, moving out of isolation. Yeah, hands all over the room. So first we're going to pray, and I'm just going to invite, if you put your hand up to make Jesus the forgiver of leader of your life, just pray this along with me. Pray it in your heart. Dear Jesus, I thank you that you're the forgiver of my sin. I recognize that you are my Savior. I need your help. Transform my life from the inside out. I surrender and give you the leadership of my life. In Jesus' name, come in and be my Lord. Take control of my life. In your name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, and I know that there were hands that were raised up, as you prayed that, you passed from death to life. You came into the family of God. Right? Yeah. And I'd invite you to tell the person you came with or come to Grow Track right after the service. And I'm going to now pray for uh, Lord Jesus, for all of us, Lord, that so many hands responding to say, I need to take some active steps in creating a new atmosphere and making living out with a new attitude of, of of stepping into some new actions, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord Jesus. Lord, that we would step, Lord, not just be people with diversity, but we would be a people of unity, that the power of God could be released in us and through us, Lord. Help us. We acknowledge our absolute desperate need for you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.